Good morning, everyone. Welcome to joining us again. Uh, as you probably have noticed that uh, we started a new sermon series called Stand. And last week we started our first sermon series, uh, first sermon to that series and is called Standing Out. Today we're going to start our second sermon on this series called Stand Firm. Uh, but before we start, I came across this picture. Uh, but most of you know that I'm a coffee, uh, fanatic and I love coffee and also love Jesus but not in that order but I came across this picture it's super fun it says that uh, master roasted never burnt uh, Shadrach, Meshach, a, a bean to go. And actually this company this roaster uh, coffee company is in Michigan their name is a bean to go and I just can't help when my wife shared this uh, picture to me as I was just cracking up um, I just, you know, if you have no idea what's going on in this picture, like what's so funny about this, uh, you are at the right place today because we're actually getting into a story about these three Hebrew boys and how it matters that it says master roasted but never burnt. And that's the story that we're going to look at today, how we can stand firm in the midst of a fiery furnace. Question I want to ask us today is this, how many of you like test? I believe many of you are watching your students. You're like, that is the worst thing that can ever happen on earth. If there's one creation I hate the most in the world, it would have been test. And I would agree with you because tests actually bring anxiety in us. None of us, I would guess, I love to take tests. Well, I mean, you might like to read. You might like to study even if you're nerdy enough. Uh, but none of us really like to be tested. But what I want to challenge you today is that actually all of us like tests. We just don't like to be tested, but we love tests. You love tests more than you will ever know. The reason why is because many of the products that we use, including my iPad, your iPhone, the TV that you have, are tested time after time. It is crucial before a product to be tested appropriately so that it is working every single time. It is supposed to function the way that it ought to be functioned. And as a result, that testing is so important in pushing out any product into our market. And to bring it a little closer to home, imagine if you are on the, ta- on, on the table on, uh, about to have an operation. You're about to have a surgery and the guy, the doctor, the physician holding a scalpel, you would be praying real hard that doctor had actually been tested many, many times. That he passed his exam, his medical exam, he passed his licensing, there are testing to make sure that this guy about to put his scalpel into your body to cut you open, he knows exactly what he is doing. So testing is incredibly important because it proves, it verifies the, 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 how legit that person, that product is. Is it really working or not? And in the same way, our faith, the Bible tells us needed to be tested. And as much as we don't like to be tested, the Bible tells us there's a reason to be tested. Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 7 tells us that Paul, uh, the apostle Peter reminds us that in this you rejoice. Though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Those are the testing of our faith. Why do we have testing? Verse 7, there is a purpose so that the tested genuineness of your faith. See, you and I need to be tested. Our faith needs to be tested because through testing, it shows whether our faith is genuine. Is that the real deal or is that a counterfeit? 
You see, what I want us to see today from the story is that a test of faith is a trust of faith. A faith that is tested, being proven genuine, reveal how its usefulness is one that can be trusted, not just by God himself, but also can be trusted by those who are not believers. Because there is a world, an unbelieving world that's watching your life and my life, your faith and my faith, and wonder, is that faith real? You see, a test of faith allows the world to see that our faith in God can be trusted. Today in the story in Daniel chapter 3, we see two groups of people. Two groups of people who are being tested. Their faith are being tested. They have faith in different gods. But both of them are being tested. One will pass with flying color. The other will fail miserably. The other one will be, will be prevailing because of their conviction about God, who they believe in. The other one will crumble under the pressure of the world. These two groups of people are being tested. And it will reveal whether their faith is genuine, legitimate, working, and for the world to see. So before we turn there, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. Each week, each day that we get this gift. And we don't have to wonder, God, are you there? Are you speaking to us? Because every time we pick up the Bible, it is your very word. And we get to listen to it. We get to meditate on it. We get to chew on it. And so, Lord, today as we dive into Daniel chapter 3, I pray that you'll remove any rocks in our hearts, any stones, any, any thorns in our hearts that's choking us out. But instead, prepare our hearts. Prepare the fertile soil in our hearts so that when your word is sown deep inside of us, it will germinate, it will grow, it will bear fruit 30, 60, 100 times so that we can please you and honor you and worship you and the world can see that you are God. So speak through me today, God. Give us ear to listen, heart to receive. Help us to be not just hearers of your words, but be doers of your word. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to begin from chapter 3 in the book of Daniel, verse 1. Uh, just like last week, we're going to read quite a bit of verses. So follow along, open up your Bible or follow on the screen. As I read Daniel chapter 3, we're not going to read the whole chapter uh, for now. We'll follow up the second half later. But we're going to read from chapter one, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 18. If you're a Bible on your computer, on your phone, on your iPad, let's open up to Daniel chapter 3. Here's what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and his breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the province, provinces to come to the de- dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for, uh, gathered for the dedication that is set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn and pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and worship golden image that I have set up? Now if you're ready when you hear the sound of horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, hard bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Fortunately and unfortunately, there's only one question on the test of faith. One question and one question only. I don't know if you ever, ever have that experience. In my college days, there was one class that the finals only have one question. What that means is either get it right or you get it wrong. And in the same situation here, there's a test of faith for us. And there's only one question. And that question is this. That are you going to be controlled by the external, external pressure of this world? Or are you going to be directed by the internal conviction about God? Let me say that again. The question that you and I face day to day from now till we return to Jesus Christ in heaven is that are we going to be controlled by our external pressures of the world or are we going to be directed by the internal conviction of who God is? Every behavior, every decision, every act that you do is being balanced, being, being, being uh, chosen based on your, your, your response to one of these two factors. Every decision, every thoughts that you have, every behavior you have is based on whether you want to be controlled by the external pressure of this world or are you going to be directed 
Are you going to bend your knees to the pressures of this world? Or are you going to bow your heart to the God who is over all these circumstances? Are you going to be conformed to the likeness of this world? Or are you going to be transformed by the presence of God? That is the question that we have to answer. That is the question of the test of faith that we are all called to answer. In this, in this chapter, in chapter 3, in this story, the story began with Nebuchadnezzar building this ginormous statue. Some believe that he built the statue of his own image. Some believe that it was an image of a false god, an idol. We don't know for sure. But nevertheless, we see from the beginning, he built this huge statue. It says it was 60 cubit long and its width is 6 cubit. The closest thing I can think of, 60 cubit is about 90 feet. Lincoln Memorial, the statue of Lincoln, uh, Abraham Lincoln, our president, is about 99 feet. If you've ever been there, you look tiny when you're standing at the bottom of that statue. And that was the same type of statue that Nebuchadnezzar was building, but it was made out of gold. Just like many tyrant of our world today, Nebuchadnezzar called upon many of his officials to come and show to be a political display of power. He called every person that is ruling under his government, the satrap, the prefects, the governors, council, a long list, treasurers, justice, magistrate, everybody who is ruling under him, they are called to show up to this ceremony, this political display of power of how great he is. But it was not only a political display of power, it is also a religious gathering. Because we see quickly as they gather, it was not just to clap their hands and say, well done, good job, King Nebuchadnezzar. They were there, they were commanded at the music of the royal orchestra as they played the music with a long list of instruments, horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music in verse 5, they were commanded to fall down and to bow down to worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So not only is it a political uh, gathering, it is a religious gathering, just like what we did. The songs prepare their hearts to do what? To worship the king with a little K, lowercase K, Nebuchadnezzar. But this was not an option, just like you and I, you don't get to choose whether you come to church or, or watch online or not. It was a command by King uh, Nebuchadnezzar because this command comes with a consequence. That consequence is if you don't show up at the sound of the music and bow down and bend your knees to this idol and worship, you will be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. I find it funny because as if there is any other type of fiery furnace that is not burning. Obviously, it's burning because it's fiery furnace. But nevertheless, here's the punishment that you, that, you're, that you will be subjected to if you choose not to bend your knees. And then again, here's the test question again for our faith. Would these people bend their knees? to the external pressure of the world? Or are they going to be directed? Are they going to be directed by an internal conviction of who God is. Unfortunately, the Bible tells us in this story, the majority, many, if not almost all the people in Babylon did exactly as they were told. Because in verse 7, it tells us this, therefore, here's the key phrase, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the music, 
all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image. It is almost like a condition that they heard the sound and they bowed down. There's a reason why there's a repetition. I was tripped up as I was reading this passage. There are two lists of repetition. Anytime you see something that's repeated in the Bible is a good way to realize that something important that author is trying to communicate to us. It's a literary, literary device to, to kind of sound the alarm or something important. And there are two lists here. The first one is this, the long list of the officials there in verse 3 and verse 4. And he listed all these, and then in verse 2, he listed all these officials, and verse 3, he listed again. Then the second list is this, is the list of the instrument being played, hornpipe, lyre, trigon, bagpipe, maybe they're Irish. They were playing every kind of music, and then it was repeated again in verse 7. And you must ask yourself, why waste ink, and why waste my breath to read a long list of things that seemingly unimportant? The point of the author is this. That is almost a, 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 a joke, almost like a laughing matter that so how silly it is that this long list of people just automatically follow. King Nebuchadnezzar called, these people get, these people did. There's as if there's no critical thinking, there's no, no, no uh, wrestling. Am I supposed to do this? Or they just automatically follow exactly as they're told. And that was the sense from this story that these people, King Nebuchadnezzar order, these people follow. These people heard the music instruments and the music. At the sound of this music, these people followed. They were conditioned to just follow and go along. I don't know if you ever heard of this uh, experiment called the Pavlov experiment. A very famous experiment. Basically, it's a simple experiment it's done by a, by a scientist named Pavlov. And he noticed that every time he fed the dog with food, the dog starts salivating. They see the food, they salivate. It makes sense, right? Sometimes my kids do that as well. We are cooking, they're salivating outside, you know. Um, and so they, you know, that's obvious. But then what happened is that he started noticing that when, the, when his assistants are bringing the food with them, the dog starts salivating again. So he wanted to test this. Is this something that's going to trigger the dog to just salivate? And so what happened is he decided he will give the dog food and then he will ring the bell. He would do it repeatedly and over and over again. And after a while, he stopped bringing the food. They just show up and start ringing the bell. And guess what happened to the dogs? They just start salivating. There's this connection. There's this trigger in their mind that if their bell rings, that means the food is here. I need to salivate. Here's the sad thing for you and I. In many ways, we're no better than the dogs. We are so conditioned by this world. We're so conditioned by this world at the sound of what the world tells us. We just go along and salivate. I mean, think about this at the sound of the word sale, S-A-L-E. Immediately in your mind, you're thinking, I need to buy something. It's a good deal. At the sound of a ding and a notification on your phone, what do you do? You're conditioned to pick it up and start swiping. Or at the sound of nothing's going on in your room, in your house. When you feel awkward in a public place, what do you do? You're conditioned to pick up your phone, look down, pretend you're busy with doing something. We are so conditioned by this world that we just kind of go along very much like in verse 7, all the people from the nations, from every language. By the way, 
Doesn't that sound like Revelation? That they just fell down and bent their knees and worshipped this false idol of a ginormous golden statue. Most of us give in easily to these conditions. As if that's not, that's not easy enough. All we needed is just a little bit of a threat, a little bit of, a, of, 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 a, of a, a consequence in my mind, in our mind, and we will go even jump farther and do more and go along even greater. For example, Nebuchadnezzar threatened them that they would throw them into, he would throw them into the fiery furnace. Of course, I want to stay alive, I'll bend my knees. Or, or in some countries, at the, at because we gather as a church, you'll be arrested, you'll be put in prison. Some of us are being threatened that if, you, if your, your boyfriend and your girlfriend say, if you don't, you don't sleep with me, I'm going to break up with you. There are threats after threats. I will burn down your church if you continue to meet. I will boycott you if you continue to hold on to the traditional biblical view of marriage. Example, Chick-fil-A. You see, with, with, with the pressure of the world, it is so easy for us to bend our knees to this external pressure of the world. And it was the case, and, and it is not something that happened in 600 BC in today. Just past this, this past week on the news, in 2020 AD, we see on the news that the same type of threat is being given to us. Look at the slide here. I put up the news right here. In Nigeria, five people get their head chopped off because they are unwilling. They were unwilling to give, uh, to renounce their faith in Christ. In China, we were told that people were being kept out of uh, collecting welfare because they believe in Jesus. It is not just a foreign thing in 600 BC. In today's world, it's exact things is still happening today. And so while everybody else, this first group, failed in their test of faith, we see in the story there are three Hebrew boys that unconspicuously were standing up. Because we know that it doesn't say it there, but we know that because in verse 8 it tells us this, Therefore at that certain time the Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. While King Nebuchadnezzar was celebrating and basking in his own glory up front with a statue, while he can't see everybody else out there, there were three Hebrew boys that were standing up. It did not lose, it was not lost on the people around them that they were standing. In fact, it bothered them so much, maybe perhaps out of jealousy, that they actually went up to the king and told them, told him that the, these three young men that you appointed to be high officials over the affairs of the province of uh, Babylon, they were the very ones that are unwilling to bow down before you. And as you can imagine, in verse 13, King Nebuchadnezzar said he was in furious rage. But yet in the midst, you can see there is a soft spot in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's heart to these young men. And even in the midst of his anger, he gave them a second chance. He said, if you next time hear this music and these instruments and you fall down and worship, I will overlook this. But here's the thing though. If you don't, if you do not worship me, I, you shall immediately be cast, in verse 15, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace and here's what is very interesting. He says this. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? It is as if 
King Nebuchadnezzar knew the reason why these young men around the age of 20 would not bend their knees to these idols. It's because of their faith and conviction about God. He, almost like King Nebuchadnezzar, was smirking in his face. Remember, I know why you're not bowing, because you think that God that you believed in, he will save you, right? But remember, the reason why you're here was because he didn't save you in the first place. The reason why I got to bring you to my land to educate you, trying to bring watch you, is because I'm greater than your God. And so if you do not get, get, you do, do not bend your knees to my idols, bend your knees according to my external pressure on you, no one else will save you. You think that God will save you? Whoever that God is? And here's the response of the three young men. Three young men here in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. I love this answer. It says, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We have no need to answer you in this matter. I love the way they answered because they didn't even call him king. He just said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't even call them king. And the people before were tattling on them. They were like, oh, king, long live the king. I have all these extra stuff. These guys did not even call him king because he, to, the, to them, they, he's not the real king. They believe in the king of kings. And he kind of go, yo, Nebuchadnezzar, in my version. And then notice how they answered. They said, we don't even need to give you an answer. That's our answer. We don't need to give you an answer. That was their answer. You see, the reason why they don't need to give them an answer is because they already have an answer in their hearts. They already make up their minds, already already resolved, like last week, like Daniel, that they will only bow their hearts to God and therefore they will not bend their knees to some idols. They don't need to give an answer to King Nebuchadnezzar because an answer has already been given to them. By the one true God. Here's the answer that God gave them in Exodus chapter 20. That one that they would have memorized since they were young. And you're familiar with the chapter. It is the chapter uh, 20, which is the chapter of the Ten Commandments. Here's what it says in verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above. And that is in the earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. They already got an answer in their heart that says, I cannot and I will not worship idols made out of anything because I already bowed my hearts toward the one true God. And they are so confident that they're being directed by the inner conviction that they went on to say this in verse 17. If this be so, if you insist of throwing us into the furnace, here's what he said. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They are so, they have such supreme confidence in the power of God that even if they're in the uh, burning burning fiery furnace, God can deliver them. And it gets better. 
in verse 18. God has the power to do it, but here's the key word, verse 18. But if not. Another version has it, even if not. Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They are so confident. They are so directed by the conviction of who God is. That they are not going to bend their knees. That even unto death. You you see how how it works is Satan, the enemies, trump card against you and I is the death card. He's trying to intimidate us and say, I'll take your life. So bend your knees at me. But here's what happened. If you take that card away, if your theology and conviction about God has a category that I can actually die for God. Like it would actually be God's will for me to die in this world. That trump card is gone. The devil got nothing on you. And that was the case for these young men. They did not bend their knees to Nebuchadnezzar. They did not bend their knees externally to these gods. Because inwardly, they have already bowed their hearts to the king of kings, the Lord of lords. See, that's what true faith is. True faith is more than just what happens on the outside. I'm afraid for many of us, truth faith of uh, our faith is just about what's going on on the outside. True, true faith is more than just bending knees at a worship service, raising hands, singing some songs, giving some money, tithing, a 10%, 15%, or even 20%. True faith is more than just showing up on a Zoom call, showing up on a YouTube and watching a service. It's not just an attendance. See, true faith has everything to do with outside, but it started from the inside. See, this is where most people get it wrong. They think that I can just show up at church and be a Christian. It doesn't work that way because you cannot just stand in the garage and be a car. In the same way, you can't just show up, be in a church, stand in the church, and all of a sudden you become a Christian. I believe here's where most of us have made a mistake. I think far too many of us have bent our knees on the outside. But we haven't bowed our hearts on the inside. Far too many of us are just acting like uh, picking up Christian behaviors on the outside. But we actually never met our Savior. Far too many of us who are living like a Christian without ever being a Christian in the first place. Your hearts was not your hearts were not bowed. You have not bowed to God and have not bowed to Jesus. You have not surrendered your life. And so whatever you do on the outside while it looks good, and what happened is it's just like a balloon. It's hollow in the inside. And you know what happens with a balloon, right? It's just basically plastic wrapping around air. And when there's a needle that come, a sharp needle, even a dull needle, just poke at the balloon, it pops. It cannot withstand any pressure from the outside. But on the other hand, if you ever play with a, a bowling ball, when bowling, you know that ball was filled to the core. It is heavy. It is solid. The inner conviction is real. And what happened is you put that needle on a bowling ball, that needle gets crushed. Because of the core and the strength of the, of the inside of that ball, the inner conviction, it can withstand the external pressure. 
I can testify to that because I, I've seen my own four-year-old dropping the ball in a bowling alley repeatedly and barely a den was happening on the bowling ball. And here's a question I want to ask you. Is your faith more like a balloon or is it more like a bowling ball? You see, whatever your faith is, the only way for us to withstand the testing of faith, to withstand the external pressure, and instead of being controlled by it, instead of being controlled by it, instead of being directed by, by, by our inner conviction, has to come with a faith that is solid in the middle. And that's explained why, for many of us, why we did not pass the test of faith. Because we've only bended our knees on the outside. But we've never bowed genuinely in our hearts to God. You can see the story continues that King Nebuchadnezzar didn't like the answer. They didn't think it was funny. That didn't give him an answer. So the rest of the story goes that King Nebuchadnezzar got more mad. His face turned and he said, let's crank up the, the furnace seven times more as in, as in somehow a hundred more degrees will be, will be hotter. And he decided, I will bound these young men. I will throw them in. It got so hot, the furnace, that the people who were carrying these three young men were carrying them and they got burned by the fire and killed them. And here's what amazing they, uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar thought that he would, would end their life and throw them in. And here in verse 27, look at his reaction. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. They were, he was shocked and he rose up in haste. He rose up quickly and he declared to those around him, the counselor, probably the tattletales that were, that were um, telling on the, the, the Hebrew voice earlier. Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And the answer instead to the king, True, O king, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of God's. If you are walking through fire, if you are in the middle of being tested by God in your your faith, this ought to come as an encouragement to you. You see, God never promised his people and, and we, as we reflected by these three young men, that they didn't expect, they, they, they believed that God can deliver them, but they also believed that God can leave them in there. And that was precisely what happened. God left them in the fiery furnace, but here's what's, in, what's really crucial is that God did not leave them by themselves, but God sent his presence. Many scholars kind of argue whether this fourth person was Jesus pre-incarnate, meaning before he came on earth, or, or was he just a manifestation of an angel? We didn't know, we can't know for sure, but we know in, in the text that Nebuchadnezzar thought later on it was an angel. But regardless of what it is, of who it is, we know that it was sent by God to represent his presence. This, this fourth person unbounded the three young men and walked with them and there's nothing. No parts of the body is being consumed by the fire. They're not being burned at all. And, and there, here's what God has promised us, that he never promised the absence of fire in our lives, but he surely and emphatically throughout scripture, he promised his presence with us through him. That's the key word in this, in this verse. It says, in the midst of it, and, and I want to show you another two verses in Isaiah 43. Really resonated with a song we sang earlier, another in the fire. 
It's not just another old person in the fire. We have God's presence in the fire. Isaiah 43 says this, when you, here's the key word, pass through the waters, God will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. These three young men was literally living out what was prophesied in Isaiah 43. Psalm chapter 23, a familiar passage for many of us. We tend to look at the first three verses and life will be good with God. But notice verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't walk around it. God doesn't necessarily move you around the valley of the shadow of death. God, God did not move them outside of the fiery furnace. But here's the promise that God will be with us through it and in it with us and be present with us. And in the case of these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by the providence of God, they were not consumed by the fire. Because we read in verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declares, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the Shadrach, prefect, governors, and king's councils gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of the hair, uh, the hair of the heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not burned and no smell of fire had come upon them. I just, um, smoked meat this past week. I wish that was the case. I was standing outside for five minutes in front of my grill. I smelled like smoke. But here, is what amazingly God supernaturally protected his people. And they did not smell one hint of smoke. They were not burned even to the smallest degree. These young men passed the test of faith because they did not give in to the pressure of this world. They did not be, they were not controlled by the external pressure. Instead, they were directed by the inward conviction toward God. You see, testing is so important because it strengthens our faith. But here's the last part. What I started a sermon talking about how a test of faith is a trust of faith. Because the testing of your faith is not only just for you to know, but really for the world to see. Because as we look at the end of this story, Nebuchadnezzar get a front row seat of who God is. And as a result, and look at this proclamation by this king who built an idol to himself, who, who had, who had called people to worship him, worship his God. He had a 180 degree change in verse 28. He says this, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to these young men, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, in typical Nebuchadnezzar dramatic fashion, he made a decree. He said, any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house is laid in ruin, and there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Here's what I want you to remember. 
Sometimes the best show of who God is is produced in the studio of a fiery furnace. Sometimes the best display of who God is in this life requires us being created, produced in a studio of fire. Because these young men are willing to step into the fire, they refuse, even uh, Nebuchadnezzar himself said, they refuse to obey him. And they give up their own body. They're unwilling to bend their knees to these idols. As a result, in that fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar get a front row seat of watching what God can do. But that requires these three young men to be a major actor in that scene. Being in that fiery furnace that will heat us seven times more. You see, a test of faith is a trust of faith. When you are being tested by God and your faith is being tested by God, it creates a moment, a picture for people to see that your faith is real and therefore I can trust you with your faith. The only way Nebuchadnezzar can trust that these young men are worshiping a true God, why he would de- uh, utter such decree that people need to, to, to acknowledge and respect their God is because he knew it is real because these young men live like their God is real. You see, a test of faith will become a trust of faith. But that will require you and I to be in that fire. I think far too many of us are too allergic to get our test faith, uh, faith tested. Far too many of us are too comfortable with our ease, our security. Far too many of us, kind of like the Pavlov experiment, kind of like the people in Babylon, they just kind of show up and just do and go along with whatever else the people are doing in this world. Then why are we surprised that an unbelieving world doubt that our God is real. You see, our faith was not tested. Our faith is not proven. And therefore, it was reckoned by these unbelievers that it cannot be real. It is not genuine. So here's my challenge for you. Are you willing to be tested by God? Are you willing to let your faith be tested so that someone else get to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as they see how God works in your life? See, a test of faith is always a trust of faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the example in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, last week we talked about how easy it is for us to focus on what people can do for you. But really, the point of the story is that we have a great God who will walk through, uh, walk through fire with us. A God who is so in control that, that, that the pressure of this world is not above you. That you're in control of it all. That if we're willing to be tested. That our faith is real. Our faith, our inner conviction for you uh, allows us to stand firm for you. A world get to see that God, you are the God of this world. So God, give us resolve. Help us to surrender our lives to you. Use us. 
in however way that will bring you the most glory in this world. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. This week we're going to um, observe the communion together. I want to read a passage for us from Matthew chapter 13. And, and just as I, as I was reading and preparing for our sermon today, and just reminded me this passage. What kind of hope we have. And why we observe our communion. Because we need to be reminded of this hope. Matthew chapter 13 Verse 47 says this. Here Jesus giving a parable. A sequence of parable. And he says this again. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. That was thrown into the sea. And gathered fish of every kind. When it was full. Men drew it ashore. And sat down and sorted the good. Into containers. But threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them where? Into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a great reminder for us that the reason why we can't stand in the fiery furnace in this world it's because we've been delivered from that eternal fiery furnace. That we rightfully should have been there in the first place. But by the grace of our Lord Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, we are pronounced righteous. That when the angel come and separate and, and, and divide up the righteous and the evil ones, we will be spared from this fiery furnace that's being described. I think it is to that hope that we're taking our communion today, that we have this gift of eternal life, that by the, by the grace of our Lord Jesus, we've been spared of that eternal fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what the bread represents in our cup. It represents the body of Jesus who died on that cross for us. This is a symbol of what God, Jesus Christ, had done for us. To bring forgiveness of sin. But in the same way. We're told that he took the cup. And after supper saying. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. And this is the reason why we. Take the bread. And we drink the cup of juice. To remind us. That Christ has indeed died for us. It was not a fake death. It was a real death. But by the power of the resurrection, he was raised from the dead so that we can have life. So would you join me to proclaim, proclaim the mystery of our faith in this three simple sentence. Let's say it together. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Let me pray for us.
before we take the communion together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your loving kindness to us, your mercy. That though we were one lives in darkness, though we one were buried in the bottomless pit of sin, through Christ we've been raised. That we have a new identity in your kingdom, in your family, that we're no longer counted as evil. By the blood of Jesus, we've been, we're, we're seen as righteous. We have the righteousness of Christ imputed in us. And when you see us, we are, we are known, we're called, we're, we're named as co-heirs with Christ, heirs of yours. And so, Lord, though we might be in the middle of a fiery furnace in our world today, Lord, remind us as we take our, our elements today that you have prepared and reserved for us the heavenly kingdom. That will never fade away. There will be no sorrow. There will be no pain. And we get to reign with you and be in your presence forever. So God, would you cause and stir love and affection inside of us as we partake this? May all glory, honor, and praise be given to you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.